This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Go with me this evening to the book of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5. Now, I'm, I'm going to hit us on another area of faith tonight. And this area will teach us how we must imply faith in every aspect of our life. And where I'm going to go with this is that oftentimes many people or even believers, they feel very unworthy. Almost like I'm not good enough to ever receive anything from Father God. And a lot of times that's because of our sinful past. Sometimes that's from becoming, uh, not, not to be labeled as a hypocrite. But oftentimes we, we, we feel unworthy because we're convinced that our lives can never change. I've been there before. I've, I have felt unworthy. Very much unworthy. Now, where we're ultimately going to get to this will be the genealogy of Jesus, his bloodline. And if you were to look at the bloodline of Jesus Christ, it was literally the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay? It's, it's unbelievable to me that the history of people that's been there. And so again, those people that are in there, it's not just how they started out. It's how they finished. And you begin to see that God is a God who will restore you, okay? Now you don't have to believe this by faith. So we begin. Revelation 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Believe this or not, the right hand is a symbol of power and authority. And it says the scroll, and the scroll is the redemptive plan of God that was inaugurated by Jesus. And I saw a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel, not a weak one, but a strong one. He was proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seal? And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. There was none, zero. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the root of David, which was Jesus, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loosen its seven seals. So what we see right here, the lion of the tribe of Judah, which I said was Jesus, and the root of David, He met all the standards to be able to open those seals. Now, when you begin to see certain names in the Bible, the root of David was after King David. But when you see Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah, this tells me that he comes out of the the bloodlines of a man named Judah. Actually, in Hebrews 7.14, it says that Jesus arose out of the tribe of Judah. Forever the Levites had been the priesthood, but Jesus is now the new priest of the New Testament. Everything's wrapped up in Jesus. So as I look at this, you see that this guy who was Judah, he must have been an incredible guy. For Jesus to come out of his his bloodlines. So when we study about this guy named Judah... Judah was one of 12 sons of Jacob. That's where we get the tribes of Israel, okay? Judah was the fourth 
of the, the numbers of the twelve. He was number four to his mother was named Leah. And it came from Reuben to Simeon to Levi and then to Judah. And I'm just giving you a little history lesson. So what we need to do here is I want you to see how God moves in people's lives. So go with me to the book of uh, Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38. I believe you're going to get blessed when you see all this. Uh, God is a God of restoration. I don't care how ugly your past is. Jesus will forgive you. You just got to learn to receive that forgiveness by faith. It's not a feeling. You may you may get some Holy Ghost goosebumps on you and you may not. But where I stand is I just stand on the word of God. That if God says he'll forgive me, he'll forgive me. If God says I'm going to restore it, he's going to restore you, okay? Genesis chapter 38, verse 1. And it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers. He left them all. And he visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. Now Hira and him became great friends. And Judah saw there among the Adullamite a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And Judah married her and he went into her. Now, I got to help you just a little bit. When... This is part of my Bible. I'm going to have to get the Gorilla Glue back out. So when Judah marries this woman named Shua, it wasn't a mistake. It was a huge mistake. She was a daughter of the Canaanites. What that signified, that they were a bunch of idol worshipers. They didn't love God. They served idols and in several different passages in, uh, in, in Genesis 9, Noah warned them. And then again in, in Numbers chapter 33, Moses warned them. Don't marry the, the Canaanites. Stay away from them. Actually, if we go back just a little in history, uh, Judah's uncle, which was a man named Esau. Esau married a Canaanite and it wasn't good. Let me give you a biblical reference on that. This is first or 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? The message helps me out with those. For unequally yoked, it says, those who reject God. So when I look at that, I'm either going to be around people that honor God or they reject God. So we get the idea here, idea here, this man named Judah marries a woman who's an idol worshiper, okay? Now this isn't a lesson on marriage, alright? Keep reading. So Shua conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived again and bore a son, and called his name Shelah. He was at Chesbah when she was born, when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for heir, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now I want to highlight Tamar just briefly. Tamar's a Canaanite too. And so now, weaved in their, in their lives, in their homes, is a mama who's Canaanite, and he marries a woman who's a Canaanite. So you begin to see their family bloodline begins to take a turn. Verse number 7. 
But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Wow. He was wicked. Most references take back that he quit looking to God and he started looking to those stinking idols. And so the Lord had him killed. Now, in Jewish custom, the social requirement was that if the older brother died, the next brother would have to marry her. All this is Deuteronomy 25 uh, verses close to starting in verse 5 through 10, I'd say. So, if you were in Jewish custom, you definitely wanted to be the oldest, okay? You don't want to be the second one. So now, Jewish custom, Onan is going to have to marry her. But Onan wasn't real thrilled about it. He wasn't real happy about the opportunity. And so guess what happens to Onan? He's killed. So now, number three, Shayla's up. But Judah begins to procrastinate and says, listen. I've already lost two two boys because of that woman, right? I'm not doing another one. So he begins to procrastinate. He, he drags his feet. And that's all paraphrased, okay? Same chapter, verse 12. Now, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears at Timnah. And he and his friend Hira the Dolomite. Now, let me throw something in there just off of verse 12 that I begin to see. In, in just a short span of time, Judah experiences a lot of death. He loses two sons, and he loses his wife. Now, what this begins to talk about here is that Judah was going up to shear their sheep. This is how they made their money. This was his livelihood, okay? Keep reading with me. Verse 13. And it was told Tamar, saying, look. Your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear a sheep. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. So here's what's going on. This daughter-in-law named Tamar, she's seeing, hey, I got a great opportunity. He's getting ready to go to work, and so he's going to have money in his pocket. He's leaving the comfort of his home, so he's going to go in an area where nobody sees him. And the third thing she sees is his wife has been dead. He's a lonely fella. Okay? Keep reading, verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face, which was their custom. Then he turned to her by the way, and he said, Please let me come into you for... He did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come in? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet, your cord, your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and he went to her and she conceived by him. Now when you see the signet and the cord there... These were like their identity. These were like a seal. This was things that they would give. Uh, it would be like possibly maybe our social security number or, or like a, a rancher when he brands his cattle. It was something that would identify this is who this is. Verse 20. 
And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend the Dolomite to receive his pledge from the woman, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and he said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed, for I sent this young goat and you have not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, tomorrow your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she was with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. So literally what he's saying here is he he finds out his daughter-in-law's pregnant. And he throws a royal fit. And the Mosaic law said this, that if you were an adulterer or an adulteress, you would be burned to death. And so they're going to gather all of them right there in the public square. And he's going to watch them burn her to death is what it looks like. Verse 25. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Now, can you imagine what Judah's thinking here? A little bit of show and tell. And so she drops them down, and he's looking, and he's thinking, This is not good. Not good. You know, Numbers 32, 23 says your sin will find you out. And so now, what does he do? Watch what happens right here. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She is more righteous than I because I did not give her to Shalem, my son. And he never knew her again. So when he acknowledged all this, this is if he was confessing. I'm responsible. And he says, she's more honorable than me. Now, when I begin to look at this, this story is right here in the Bible. It's almost like something you'd see on Jerry Springer. It's crazy, isn't it? This is something that, man, if this is your family, hey, family unions, we don't talk about Uncle Judah, okay? We don't mention, this is some crazy stuff. And so they begin to whisper at the family. And he said, this is the guy who got his daughter-in-law pregnant. This is dysfunction with a capital D. This is some crazy, crazy stuff when I read it. So when I begin to look at this, I have the thought. If anyone should be disqualified from the kingdom of God, it would be this guy named Judah. But it's very easy for me to become critical and judgmental. And I'm just telling you tonight, I thank God that we're not live streaming my past up here. Okay? Because I've got some things too that I'm not real proud of. But as I look here and you look at, at Judah, do you think there was a time in his life that he felt unworthy? How could God ever use me? How could God ever bless me? And see, that's what begins to happen to us. But the truth of the matter is, we all have things in our life that probably aren't good or can be very shameful. So let me paraphrase here. Why don't you go ahead and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. 
Romans chapter 5. Let me, let me paraphrase what goes on there. This daughter-in-law named Tamar, she gives birth to not one. She gives birth to twins. The oldest one is named Perez, and the younger one's name is Zerah. Z-E-R-A-H, I believe how you spell it. Okay? So it happens. Now watch some of these scriptures. And I want you to see some things. This is the goodness of God. Verse 20 of Romans chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The Amplified says, where sin increased and abounded, grace has surpassed it and increased it. You get a chance to shout right there. Thank God for God's grace. You know what he's saying? God's grace is greater than the power of sin. Now we can go back and look with Judah and you think, Dear me, God, why was that ever in the Bible? Because God knew human beings were going to make mistakes. He knew that was going to happen. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when we look at this, grace is unearned or undeserved favor. This is why we can sing the song, Amazing Grace. God will grace you again and again and again. And God specializes in cases just like Judah. Where you think, man, God can never use me. My life is over. I'm, I'm so unworthy. Turn a couple of pages to your right to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I'm just going to paint a picture here before we get to the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived or misled. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. (laughs) Yes, we were. And such were some of you. But watch what he goes on to say. But you were washed. You were cleansed from guilt and sin. And you were sanctified. You were set apart. And you were justified. You were totally accepted or declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And so in Christ, not only were we sanctified and declared completely the Lord's property, and not only were we justified, declared completely not guilty of any of our past record, but a new designation Is given. Now you may say. Oh no pastor. That won't work for me. Wait just a minute. He got over. And he gave the list. And I bet a lot of us in here. Are at least in one of those categories. If not multiple of them. And he said. But such were some of you. At one time. Your life was defined by sin. But because Jesus came into your life. 
Jesus said, I'm going to wash you, I'm going to sanctify you, and I'm going to justify you. So you know what has to happen? i got to believe that by faith. i got to look at that and say, you know what? Jesus died for me, and so I'm just going to receive it. you got to get there, okay? Man, we limp in here so unworthy at times. But when you start just receiving by faith what Jesus said that, that he did for you, man, everything begins to change. Turn to the right just a little further. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Woo, this one is a good one. This is really good, this passage. This may be one you want to mark down. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. The Amplified says God's grace saved you, delivered you from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. How do you get born again? you got to do it by faith. You don't see Jesus. Jesus doesn't come strolling in here and say, Da-da, here I am. I mean, I just read the scriptures and I believe that everything that they say about Jesus took place. There's no doubt in my mind. And so again, I jump back to all the other areas. Just the way you got born again is the way you get rid of that unworthy feeling. Those unworthy expressions, whatever's going on in your life, Jesus paid the price. He qualified you. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. He moves in us. There, there were years of my life I felt very unworthy in a lot of areas. And I remember just, just soaking in the word on these areas. And one day I remember the Lord saying to me, he said, you need to get over this. You need to get over it. I died for you. I, I bled for you. I took care of it. Just get it. Go forward. Move on. And so, and I just began to move in that. And if you ask me, Pastor, do you feel like you're worthy to do what you're doing right now? Yeah, I'm worthy. I am worthy. You know why? Because Jesus made me worthy. For no other reason. Jesus qualified me. And Jesus will qualify you. Go to Matthew chapter 1. The very first book in the New Testament. Oh boy. Get ready. This this is some good stuff here. Trying to hurry because I can't wait to get there. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And Judah begot Perez and Zerar by Tamar. Something happened right there, okay? The only one of those 12 sons that were in the bloodline of Jesus is this guy named Judah who was in a crazy incest relationship with a Canaanite daughter-in-law. And there's two boys that were born that were twins from this episode, this crazy Jerry Springer stuff in the Bible But yet somehow they find their way in the Bible. And the only way this happens is for Judah to begin to understand there was a price paid for me. He would have never had this happen 
unless he would begin to understand somebody died for us. Somebody bled for us. And so God takes people, God takes the Judas of the world, dirty people, and he makes them clean. He takes people that have been on a crooked path and he makes them straight. See, the, the story of the lion of the tribe of Judah, it's not about condemnation. It's about deliverance for people that understand, I can believe God and I can trust God and I can ultimately be what God says I can be. I can do what God says I can do and I can have what God says I can have. Now, it's up to you. You just begin to live under the blood. You say, all right, Lord Jesus. You've heard me say this before. In my early years of pastoring, I remember the devil would try to bluff me. And he would say stuff to me like this. He said, the day's going to come where they're going to find out all the crap you did in your life. And oh my gosh, I would, I would almost freak out. I'd sweat profusely and say, oh Lord. Oh Lord. So you know what I figured out? Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And so you know what? I realized that's not me anymore. That's that old man. That was... That was B.C. That was before Christ. And so you know what? I just tell you all the junk I used to do. He said drunkards won't have a part of the kingdom of heaven. Fornicators, I'm not happy to admit that. So I can go down the list. And so I can tell you, I'm right now I'm not proud of any of those things, but I can tell you this, just like Judah could tell you. Woo, he set me free. He set me free. Not only did he save me, he set me free. Now, stuff like this really bothers the religious. Well, he shouldn't be doing that, Margaret. Well, thank God Jesus isn't religious. Thank God Jesus still believes in people. And he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And so, you know what? I'm just going to live by grace. I'm going to keep moving forward. And quit, quit, quit looking in the rear view of your mirror of your life. Leave that alone. Leave, leave Egypt and stay out of here. Quit going back to Egypt. Start moving forward and start believing everything that Jesus says you are and you watch what Jesus will do in your life. You stand up. Boy, that's good, wasn't it? I told you you were going to enjoy this tonight. It's a different area of faith. But I believe this right now. Too many Christians, spiritually, we limp in. We limp around and we're beat up and we're bruised and we're, we're, we're so bound by what everybody thinks when the only person I really care about who thinks is Jesus. What does he think about me? I'm telling you, it never ends. He just keeps moving in my life. He keeps pruning. I got just a little minute. Let me tell you this story. This just happened a couple hours ago. I'm on my way home from work and Shelly said, I need you to run by Walmart. And I thought, not on a Wednesday night, dear. And so she said, you don't even have to go in. You just pull up to that place, that little kiosk, and they come running out and they bring everything out. I said, okay. So I wheel up and wait and wait and wait. And they serve this car and they serve that car. And 15 minutes go by and I'm sweating profusely. It's not good. And so this young girl comes up and she says, are you so-and-so? I said, yeah. And she said, we messed up on your order. She said, you're going to have to come back in an hour. I said, ma'am, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And I said, where did we mess up at? And she said, we can't find the powdered sugar. So I'm sitting there looking at her and I'm thinking, maybe I ought to go in and help you find the powdered sugar. 
I didn't say anything. She leaves, nowhere to be found. 45 minutes later, in the express lane, they come walking out. And the guy said, I found your powdered sugar. And pastor's flesh is wanting to say, Mama say, knock you out. I mean, I'm looking at it, and it's taking everything within me. I'm texting Shelly. And so the guy just starts apologizing. Ten times in three minutes, I think he said, sir, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, no worries, buddy. I said, it's okay. And he said, I want you to know the manager said he's not charging you for any of this. And I thought for a minute and said, well, go back in and get the ribeyes. And no, I didn't say that. I just thought that. <laughs> so again, I tell you those stories to understand. I'm telling you guys, God still has to work in me. Man, there's days I look at stuff and I think, Lord, you got to refine me. you got to keep working on me because guess what? i got a flesh just like every one of us. And when I make a mistake, man, I get back under the blood and I say, all right, Lord, help me, help me, help me. That's the same with all of us. We just got to stay under the blood, okay? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.